For more than three decades, the state has been responsible for administering so-called early intervention programs for infants and toddlers with disabilities, which are intended to increase their ability to be successful later in life. But access to a wide array of high-quality intervention services can be limited, in part because, like other healthcare services, the funding for the work is inadequate. To make the case for increasing reimbursement rates for early intervention services as part of next year's state budget, we're joined in the Capitol Press Room by Assemblymember Jen Lunsford, a Rochester area Democrat. Welcome back to the show, Assemblymember. Always happy to be here. So currently, if a family has a kid, say, under the age of three, and it's recommended that they receive some sort of early intervention services, what is the landscape like for trying to obtain those critical services in a timely manner, whether it's physical therapy, speech therapy, or, or something else altogether? So when your child's not meeting a developmental milestone, that's you know, very alarming for a parent, whether it's a few weeks delayed or months or years. And when a doctor evaluates your child with an actual developmental disability or some kind of delay that requires intervention, it triggers a federal requirement that that child be served with that needed service within 30 days. The reality is, is that for nearly half of the families who are eligible for those services, they don't receive them within that 30 day timeline. The wait lists across the state are at months, sometimes even as much as a year. There are children who even age out of this program having never received that critical service. In Monroe County alone, we have anywhere from 500 to 1,000 children on the wait list at more than 90 days. So if this is a federal program, does that mean it's a federally funded mandate? So it's not a federal program, but there are federal laws that require the timeline to be met. This is a county-run service that is funded through a blend of state and county funds. So it's a lot of Medicaid dollars, but counties end up putting in uh, administrative dollars as well. Legislation vetoed last year by Governor Hochul, which called for an examination of reimbursement rates for early intervention, said in the bill memo that the rates as a whole had not been raised, I believe, since the 90s. Is that your understanding of the situation? That is correct. And aside even from not being raised, uh, some of the reimbursement rates have actually fallen. There's a common service that in the early 90s was reimbursed at a rate of $79. Now it's reimbursed at a rate of $69. So forget not keeping up with inflation. The prices over the past 30 to 40 years have fallen. So do we have a sense of the true cost of early intervention services right now? So it's very challenging because of the myriad of different services, regional differences, pay rates. But we know that if providers were making what they should be making to keep up with inflation, their current pay would be anywhere from 90 to 140 percent of what it already is. And what are the ramifications of the current rates aside from the wait lists? For example, does it mean that the providers are going out of business or that they're just having a tough time hanging on to staff? The reason we have wait lists is because we don't have enough providers. Providers are first not attracted into the EI system 
or they leave for schools or other healthcare settings where they can make a substantially higher rate of pay. And you know what? I don't entirely blame them. These are people often with master's degrees in speech therapy or occupational therapy who have student loans and families and lives to pay for. And we have a system where they're critically needed, but they're not paid enough to make ends meet. So we end up losing providers, which makes the wait list worse. And it's just a cycle of problems that keep these kids from receiving the services they need. Is this an issue where if a family is well off and can pay for services out of their own pockets, there are providers who are available for them? Of course, just like every other healthcare industry, if you can pay for it, you can find it. But the reality is, is that for most families, especially families with multiple children who may have other healthcare issues, they're relying on Medicaid. A hugely disproportionate amount of families receiving early intervention services are Medicaid eligible. So we have to figure out ways to give them the services they deserve. In addition to this being a moral issue, if they don't get these services, they end up needing to receive more services in school. I've seen stats that say two in five kids that get early intervention services end up not needing special education services in school. But when they don't get those services, the schools are on the hook for pulling these kids out of class time, for providing PT, OT, and speech in school. And that not only costs us more, it costs that kid critical learning time that they're losing. A 2018 report from the Children's Agenda, which is uh, based in your backyard, concluded that reimbursement rates would need to increase by about 40% in order to actually cover provider costs. So as you think about the upcoming budget, which uh, the governor is due to introduce in less than two months now, what is the reimbursement rate increase that you would like to see as part of that budget process? So there are two bills right now that both call for an 11% increase. And I've actually worked very, very closely with the children's agenda, with some local organizations here that do parent support and with providers who say that 11% is the, the right first step for us to advocate for. We obviously would love more. I'll always take more money. Uh, but 11% is what we're asking the governor to include in her proposed 2024 budget this year. So what does 11% translate to in, in terms of actual Medicaid dollars? It's hard to say because the rate changes per service. It's not like you have to pay one rate for speech therapy or one rate for physical therapy. Depending on the service they're providing, the rate changes. But it would be enough that we believe it would be impactful on the retention and the attraction of new providers into the system. And that's really the name of the game here. But in terms of, say, dollars that might have to get spent, should we be thinking about this in the millions, tens of millions? Does it get into that dreaded B, billions of dollars? I don't know that we're in, into the B word yet, uh, but I actually I don't have those numbers. I've asked for them several times from different sources, and I've been told from our own Department of Health, from our County Department of Health, and from experts in this field, including the Children's Agenda, that it's too hard to speculate, but we are probably statewide in the, the millions, tens to millions, low tens to millions, I would guess. So this is not a new issue for New York, as we talked about. Uh, it's been decades since the rates were changed in a meaningful way. And in recent years, though, there's been an emphasis on 
trying to expand coverage, changing who pays for it. I think a couple years ago, there was the $40 million to cover some uh, intervention claims. Have any of the actions in recent years made a difference, or are we essentially just treading water? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up that $40 million. That was part of what we call the covered lives assessment, which is effectively a tax on health insurance plans. What some people find confusing about this system is that if you are an adult and you need physical therapy, your medical insurance covers that. That's not what happens with these kids. They don't, they are expressly excluded from their health insurance. So you have these kids who are relying on a state run program for medical services they need. So we thought it was fair enough to ask the insurance companies to pay their part of this when they would otherwise be paying for this service if the patient was a different age. Uh, That $40 million helped us close a little bit of that gap that you referred to earlier in the 2018 report, which is why the 11% will get us closer to the 40% the report calls for. But we have seen some improvements. The thing is, when you fund a system, you are increasing the pool of money so you can give people more of a thing. I can give you more of the early intervention services because the pot of money is bigger but I'm limited in the providers we have because the rate of pay is not high enough. So I don't have enough providers, even though the pool is deep enough, which is why we need to pair the rate increase with that funding increase from the uh, covered lives assessment. What is the timeline when you think about this issue for actually turning things around? Because like you said, there are multiple moving parts to this, including having the the personnel to provide these services. So should we be thinking about this as a a multi-year campaign, even if there is an investment in this year's budget? Of course, because this year's budget will be the 2024 budget. So we will be collecting the funds over 2023 to implement the increase in 2024. Because you won't implement the increase in 2024, people won't begin to realize the benefit of it until then. But hopefully we will be able to turn some more people out of the education programs to help fill this pipeline and maybe even attract some people back from the healthcare and school settings. Though I always hate in healthcare to pit industries against each other because those people are also needed in school and healthcare settings. So encouraging more people to go into these fields in uh, college and even in high school beginning to demonstrate what a value this field can provide to you as a career path, that's an important component as well. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Assemblymember Jen Lunsford. She's a Rochester area Democrat. Thanks so much for making the time, Assemblymember. Anytime, David. Thank you so much. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.